absolute dependence in every area of our being. And we pray, God, that you would incline our heart to your word, not to selfish interests. That you'd open the eyes of our heart that we might behold wonderful things out of your word. That you'd unite our hearts, that we might fear you in all things and all ways. And God, that in your word you would satisfy us this morning with your love. It might be a preventative measure, God, in our lives to keep us away from those things that would distract and destroy and to draw us near to you, God, ever closer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Every waiter in the restaurant was making a beeline to my table. Earlier that day, I had dropped a cake by. On the top of the cake said, will you marry me on the cake? As I looked, I was in horror as they all came towards my table. The front waiter got the cake, put it down between Jerry and I, and, and said this. He said, woman, someone loves you. And tonight's going to change your life. I went, oh my gosh. And so Jerry had her wits about her, and Jerry said, well, who's the cake from? You or you? So began a journey of 36 years. Now, this is the uh, uh, conclusion. We've had a series on moving from success to significance. And uh, our topic today is family. And so I'm going to share with you, I hate to say, the family I'm most familiar with uh, is me. So uh, I'm going to share some insights and perspectives, and, and here it is. Now, I'm going to show this to Jerry later, and hey, I was a romantic at one time. I was a romantic. Kind of worked my way out, but uh, one time I was. And this is Jerry and I during our romance and our, during our, that kind of period of our life. Now, I tried to recruit Jerry originally to be my assistant at the church. She turned the job down but I kept calling. So, uh, so much. Uh, we did get married in uh, April of 1982. Now, in 1990, we moved where? Here to Amarillo, Texas. And we were a happy family with four kids. I mean, I thought it was great. Two boys, I'm ready to roll. But then Jerry came to me and she said, Murray, who will go shopping with me in my old age? And I said, not me. So she said, well, we've got to try again. So you know what? You all prayed way too hard. Because you know what happened? <laughs> Voila! Look what happened. Oh my gosh, our hands were full, and they were for a long time. Now, thank goodness and some of you ladies are here for nine months. A lot of you all came to our house. You changed diapers. You uh, cleaned the house. You brought food. Thank the Lord for you all for nine months. Jerry said the dumbest thing she ever did was to tell those ladies, you're done, go back home. Should have kept them for a lot longer than that. Now, um, some people might think we were uh, kind of cruel, but you have to walk a mile in our shoes because those are leashes on those three kids. They are. And it, oh my gosh, that is cruel. But if you know anything about two-year-olds, they're mobile and they're dumb, 
right? And so more than once, Jerry called me and said, she was in our house. She called me here at church. She said, Murray, they've escaped. And so I'd get in the car, run home, and we'd have to gather the three kids in Olson Park, wherever they might have gone to. So they were wandering the streets at age two. So they were mobile, and they were dumb. For sure, they were. But we had to use those leashes. Now, I have a picture that I used to call my family the Third Army. And I call them the Third Army, and I know there's some other families with a lot of kids here, too. I see that. But we used to call them the, because when we went anywhere, it was like packing munitions and armor and whatever else. A car was just packed full of stuff. And we called them adventures. We named every time we got out of town, we called them adventures. Adventure one, two, three, we named them. This is a picture of my mom and dad's house. Uh, we go to Red River. We went to family, all church retreat. We did that a lot. And so we did a lot with the Third Army, and I still call it that. And that's the, that's the larger crew at that point in our life. So um, families expand, and I want to encourage you, if you have kids, uh, grandkids, what do you do? You pray for them, but you also pray specifically about who and if they're going to marry. And uh, we've added two beautiful uh, uh, daughter-in-laws, Amy and Grace. We've also added two grandchildren to the group. Now we're 11. Now, if my wife had her choice, she'd move to Oklahoma City. Because that's where the two grandkids are. I said, Jerry, I'm sorry. We are living here the rest of our lives. We're not moving. I ain't going to do that. So uh, we'll travel to see those grandkids, and uh, we'll enjoy that. Okay, that's just a little overview of uh, the family. I'm going to talk about some prayer. Oh, yeah, I got one more thing. Well, you know this, what you started to, well, you kind of end it to, right? Life changes. Life, nothing stays the same. The only thing that stays the same is what? Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything else, it's a, it's a moving, it's a moving ship, right? So here we are, uh, 36 years into marriage. Uh, there's still two of us in the house, right? Back to that kind of deal. Okay, I think that's all my picks. All right, may we pray before we read God's word? Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. We're so grateful for your love for us in Christ. We thank you for the truths of the gospel that's transformative, that gives us uh, a guidance and direction for our lives, for our families' lives as well. We thank you for your word, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me read, uh, this comes from Ephesians 6, I will read uh, verses 1 through 4, and then I'll have some comments on uh, this section of scripture, but then I'm going to deduce some principles of just uh, family, and uh, that I want to share with you from, again, probably some experiences and knowledge of the word, but also just uh, our family's years together. So let me read it first, this is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the the Lord. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Okay, let me... um, First, if you see there's a little outline, if you look in your bulletin today, I've given you, I, I like, because I, I talk fast, and I got things to cover, I got that. And uh, so I have given you a little bulletin to follow along uh, with my diatribe. And uh, there's a little uh, prayer sheet, I'll comment in there as well, so I hope you might be able to follow along. But first, I want to mention three points uh, in this section of scripture. First is that the Apostle Paul addresses children in the first, and this was just radical. See, Paul was intergenerational. We have that as a high value in this church that we mix the ages. We want to we want to see that happen. And Paul, by addressing children, he's assuming that they are in worship. 
the children are. And that was radical for the culture because the, the Roman culture, uh, children were, were more of a, a nuisance. Uh, the father had total authority where he could even have children executed. And so the whole Roman culture where Ephesians was was way different. And Paul really lifted up the value of children. Jesus did that, of course, as well. Let all the children come unto me. But uh, Paul, by addressing children, includes them in uh, the community of faith. And that was a radical thing, again, for that culture. Uh, That phrase, children, really is little children, uh, talking about obeying the mother and father, which is true, why the children are in the house, why they're under the tutelage of uh, mom and dad. Mom and dad, in a sense, represent God. They are the first representatives in children's lives of who God is. So behind the authority of of, uh, the parent really is the authority of the Lord himself. And uh, that's important to know. Parents do have this authority that I just mentioned. It's delegated authority. It's really the authority of God in a person's life, but he delegates that to parents for a season. In verse 4, it says to bring them up. That's a very interesting phrase, to bring them up as far as children. Uh, John Calvin interpreted that, let them be fondly cherished as far as as children. Another commentator interpreted that, bring them up as rear uh, rear them tenderly. So a child is really on loan from God. They are really his children. They're in our house for a season. Uh, but we have a great privilege and opportunity to help mold them into the person that he intended them to be, uniquely how he made them. How do we do that? Verse 4 goes on to say, in the discipline, uh, that is correcting behavior, uh, and in the instruction of the Lord, which means verbal teaching of the truth. So we teach God's word uh, to uh, children in our, uh, in our, under our care, and we correct them as far as their behavior. It talks about that in verse 4. Finally, the third point I'd like to mention in this passage, it talks about honoring your father and mother. And that's a very interesting phrase, honoring your father and mother. Now, I'd, I'd like to make the proposal, you obey your parents when you're under their authority, when you're in the house, when you're part of their uh, generic family. But we're always called to honor our mother and father. Obey when young, honor always. So what does it mean to honor your father and your mother? What does it mean to honor them? Well, I don't think that's a command to have a warm affection for them or some sort of feeling. It's not a command to trust them, to admire them, or to obey them. I think honor has some different quality to it. We honor them for what they represent. We give them honor, respect, courtesy, for what lies behind them. It's a little bit like the White House. Maybe you don't like the person in the White House, but you honor that position. You honor that role. Uh, Maybe not liking the person, but you honor the role they play. As much as uh, I think uh, children are called to honor their parents. Now, what does honoring look like when you honor your parents? What does that look like? Well, one, you take them seriously. Uh, You ask their opinion. Uh, You listen to them. Uh, You recognize anniversaries. You treat them with respect. That's taking them seriously. An issue I won't go off into, but I think part of honoring your parents, if that's what part of your uh, history is, you need to forgive them. There's no perfect parents. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But I think part of honoring your parents is forgiving them. It's always on the it's always in the back of a Christian to take the initiative to forgive. I think uh, many kids wrestle as adults with uh, their parents and who they are. But I think a need to forgive is part of honoring them. 
I love that expression, uh, drinking poison and expecting other people to die. It's kind of like keep being angry. Uh, you know, it just doesn't do you any good. It, 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 it hurts your life as you carry bitterness and anger uh, towards your parents. So part of honoring your parents is the need to forgive them. And lastly, I think as far as honoring your parents, I th- and I'll deal with this a little bit more a little bit later, the idea of we need to understand that we are a child of our Heavenly Father, who all that means, that we are loved and valued in Christ. And part of honoring our parents is understanding who we are in Christ as well. We'll get back to that one. Okay, uh, the next point in your outline is this, that there is no perfect parent. This is kind of an overarching principle that I want to, before I jump into some nitty gritty stuff, I, this is an overarching principle. There is no perfect parent or there are no perfect children either. Now, parents uh, were imprinted for good or for, or for ill by their parents. The only children who had perfect parents were Adam and Eve. And you know what? They screwed it up so bad, we're still talking about it. So, uh, you know, so they had the program, and they didn't do it very well, right? Fortunately, many parents break the bad models of parenting that they have experienced, and we're thankful for that. I think an active love relationship with Jesus Christ helps transform people as parents. So a love relationship with Christ, I do, help, I do believe, helps transform us. Now, those beautiful babies that are born, they are beautiful, but they're born sinners. And they have struggles. Children have issues. Parents have issues. That's just kind of who we are. Now, Mark Twain was a, uh, uh, you know, a very insightful person, and he said a timeless truth here. He said this, when I was a boy of 14, uh, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have him around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man learned. True, isn't it? You never know more than when you're 18 years old. That's kind of the high point of intelligence. From that point on, we kind of learn our ignorance, don't we? So there's no perfect parent. Their parents are needy, broken. Kids are needy and broken as well. Now, I often say this to parents. It's kind of one of my favorite expressions is this, that parents take way too much blame for their children's failures and way too much credit for their successes. You just love your kids. So parents are, you know, they beat themselves up or they, they, they push their kids so hard to succeed because it's really about them. Well, it's not really. You just love your kids. Uh, you want great things for them. But um, parents take too much credit for their kids' successes and too much blame for their failures. You just love your kids. But you're involved with them, aren't you? You're connected with your kids, your grandkids. Uh, hopefully I'll talk more about you know, your church, family, the kids in the, in the body of Christ. You're connected to them. And when you're connected to people and you get involved with them, uh, there are risks involved because uh, you want great things for them. And that's just natural as, as a parent who is connected. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this, talking about that, that inner relationship that, that we all risk by being involved with people and our children particularly. C.S. Lewis said this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully, round it round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And how true that is with children, isn't it? Any relationship, particularly with kids, grandkids. Now, Jerry and I have had uh, our share of hurts and regrets. 
A number of times I have answered calls to arrive on the scene where one of my children are there, surrounded by police, and they're taken off to jail. I've experienced that. I've stood here assisting in worship when I knew one of my children was about six blocks behind me in jail. It was difficult, very difficult. We had those times. Many sleepless nights, many uh, evenings full of tears and struggle, questions and late night discussions. I've been there and a lot of hurts. If there were any do-overs of parenting, uh, there's some things I would do over. I wish I would say, I wish I would have said a lot more often, hey, that's my fault. Hey, will you forgive me? That was my problem, not yours. I wish I would have said that much more often. But you know what? You're always a parent as well, aren't you? I've understood that truth afresh this week. They were always a parent. No matter how old they are, no matter where they are, you're still a parent. You're still involved. You're still engaged. There's still issues to be learned. So now as I go over these principles of parenting that I want to share with you, remember, there are no perfect parent. There are no perfect children. You must flavor all these principles and these ideas that I want to share with you with the idea of God's grace, that he gives us a second chance, uh, that God is there, uh, maybe filling in the gaps that you, uh, that you left uh, in, in those kids' lives. So remember, cover all that I'm about ready to say with his grace. The first principle I'd like to encourage you about is this. Seize the day. Seize the day. When it comes to parenting, there is no substitute for time. The limit, this limited resource we use to invest in the lives of our kids. Quality time doesn't happen without quantity time. Now, the story goes of the, the devil's favorite underlings. He drew them all together, and they had a contest to figure out who could figure the best way to destroy a parent's influence upon their kids. Now, many creative options were discussed, uh, but the winning proposal was very simple, but oh, so effective in destroying parental influence. And the idea was this, just convince the dad or the mom this idea. Oh yeah, a slower day is coming. A slower day is coming. You know, a slower day is coming. When you're six feet under, your schedule is going to slow down real well when it's all over, right? But until you're done, schedules are full. You have to make time for what you want to do and for the priorities in your life. So don't buy that deceptive evil one's mentality. A slower day is coming. When my kids were young, uh, Jim Bankhead was a senior pastor here, and I always appreciated Jim's perspective. If there were family events at home, Jim would always say, hey, Murray, go home, work will wait. Go home, work will wait. And how true that is. Uh, this week, I got a, a text from my son who's in, uh, in Mozambique, and uh, Luke's a, a great young guy, and he texted me this. It's kind of odd he did this week, and this is what he said. He said, I was thinking I want to publicly thank Pops, that's me, for always being available, supportive, and closely walking with me, us, talking about the other kids, as we grew up. And still, some other pastor kids and missionary kids were talking about how common it was for their parents to be away and neglect time with their families. I've never felt that way with my pops and mom. Thank you for that. That was a great text. So the idea uh, really encouraged me, but the idea is time. Time. Where do you invest it? I think your family deserves the best of your day. The second principle is a building place, a building place. 
Um, often when the kids were at home, I would hear one kid, you know, I know how kids are. Uh, they would be put down one another. They'd, they'd criticize each other, that kind of thing. And if I was on my game that day, I would say something like this. I say, you know what? In the world, you're going to be criticized. You're going to be put down. Uh, you're going to be sized up. You're going to be evaluated. You're going to be judged. But when you're home, this place is a building place. We build people here. So I would say that a lot. My kids know that expression. Now, what would we, what would we do to build people? Well, there are some things, you know, you can, you can take some, uh, some ideas too, and everybody has different things they do. And we would do a family night on Sunday. Every Sunday night was family night. And we'd have dinner together. We'd play some games inside. I'd force them to play basketball outside. That would go on, of course. Um, we'd do a, a Joe White devotional. Uh, and often we, we would watch a TV show because I was kind of addicted to Touch by an Angel. Yes, I was. And I'd always cry when Touch by an Angel would come on. They'd always laugh at me when I would cry. But uh, we, uh, every Sunday night was family night. And uh, we, uh, we enjoyed that. Uh, often in the mornings, uh, I would read a little Josh McDowell um, Devo. And I have to admit, they, uh, while they had breakfast, and they'd come in one at a time, usually I'd kind of read the same Josh McDowell Devo. They were half asleep. Uh, I get that. I'd just kind of like throwing out seeds and hoping a few of them would, uh, would uh, get planted. But we, I would do that often in the morning. But also a real principle that I'd, uh, I'd like to say is this, that, that I often would try to catch the kids doing something right. You know, it's so easy to see the stuff that we mess up and the things that go wrong. But I always try to catch the kids doing something right and speak to that and speak to that. So catch the kids doing something right. So the home being a building place. The third uh, principle is team, team. Parenting is a team sport. I want to encourage you all, as Jerry and I often try to do, is to major decisions or disciplinary issues. We would try to talk ourselves, get our own act together before we would speak with the kids. Now, some of you all might have seen the Rocky movies. If you haven't, you probably need to go get those out. But uh, I, I think it was the first Rocky movie that, that uh, Rocky said this. You know, he was married to a, a, a woman who was very shy, painfully shy. And one time somebody asked him about Adrian. And he said this famous line. He says, Adrian, Adrian, she fills my gaps. It's a great line. Adrian filled his gaps. Well, that's what we should do. Hopefully, I fill Jerry's gaps. Uh, she fills mine. Uh, Jerry gives lots of hugs. That's what she's done. She gives lots of I love yous. Uh, she's brought lots of laughter and fun uh, into our family. And uh, she... Um, uh, uh, it's just filled many uh, things that I, I'm short in, in, in that direction. Um, I, I've loved this expression too. It really applies to the, the team deal. Uh, this is, you've heard before. The best way to love your children is to love their mom. The best way to love your children is to love their mom. And uh, we, we've tried to live that one out as well in our lives. Now, a, quick, a couple of quick asides. Um, one is this. If, um, you've, been, if you, uh, you've been divorced and you're, you're, uh, there, you have a, a, uh, the, your, your children's father or mother somewhere else, I just want to encourage you, never put down your ex. Never put down your ex. Because when you put down your ex, you're putting down your kid's mother or father. So I think that's important as far as parenting. Um, uh, because that's just part of loving your kids. Um, also, I want to mention to solo parents, if you're by yourself, you're a solo parent. Um, I think it's important that, that uh, the, the idea that God is a father to the fatherless. 
I think the important thing there is to expose your kids to other healthy parents. That might be uh, couples that you know. That could be grandparents, other adults. Uh, that could be youth workers. Uh, we have a couple of great ones in this church. Um, exposing your kids to other uh, healthy adults. The church family here is, was just a great influence upon my kids. Um, um, uh, exposing my kids to when they were here for worship or they were in Sunday school. They were in A&O on Wednesday night. Uh, Elder, one of our members here, Elder Martin Sandoval, was uh, my son Hunter's fourth grade Sunday school teacher. And, and when Hunter moved up, uh, Martin moved up with Hunter all the way along. And so it was so important that when Hunter got married a couple of years ago, Martin flew to Boston to be one of the groomsmen. Wasn't that great? And uh, Martin has also had that kind of influence upon my other boys as well. So the body of Christ stepping in there, maybe filling some roles that uh, may be absentee in other places. But it's a team. A parenting is a team sport. The next one of these boundaries. Um, boundaries. Um, you know, when a bridge has no guardrails, uh, people are fearful and they, and they cling to the middle. They cling together. Uh, boundaries or uh, guidelines or uh, rules in a, in, a, in a home provide those rails where the, the kiddos have freedom. They're on a path. They're heading down a direction and it provides uh, boundaries uh, for them. God's Word provides some terrific uh, uh, resources as far as boundaries and values and, and priorities. Uh, love, community, forgiveness, respect, serving. All that's part of God's Word that as we share those uh, ideas and, and, and principles with kids, they provide boundaries for them. Now, sure, we had expectations and rules growing up in our family. We had curfews. Uh, we had uh, dinners together, as I said before. We had a little rule when people would come to eat. Uh, I'd always say, guns up. Guns up. What does that mean? Guns up means put your cell phone somewhere else. You know, I don't want to have, we, this is just us. We're here together. I don't want all these phone calls and texts while we're together. So I'd always say, guns up. And they'd uh, put those uh, phones somewhere else. As I mentioned, Sunday school uh, attendance, worship, were, uh, were non-negotiables. Uh, our kids didn't wake up in the morning thinking, do we go to church today? Do we attend Sunday school? No, that was just a given. That is what they did. As folks get older, too, I think the expression is pretty good, pick your battles. Pick your battles. Not everything's worth having a big discussion over. Uh, some things you begin to flex on a little bit, and that's okay. But you pick your battles. What do you want to uh, cross swords over, and what are the most important things? The next principle is more caught than taught. More caught than taught. Now, when you're around someone day in, day out, uh, good days, bad days, your values, your passions, your weaknesses, your priorities become known to all. And if I'm sitting on an airplane with somebody for a couple hours, I can share my understanding of who Jesus is, and I can tell them how much I love Christ and how important he is to me. But when I'm around people a day in and day out, my life has to communicate these truths much more regularly. I do love the expression, your life speaks so loud, I can't hear what you say. My, li- my wife loves this expression so much that uh, she'd like to have this expression on her tombstone. And it says this, we laughed a lot and examined everything for the fingerprints of God. We laughed a lot and examined everything for the fingerprints of God. Jerry really has lived that out with our kids. She has a deep love and trust uh, in God's presence, uh, really modeled by her parents. And that gives her a real ability to laugh and to see life. Uh, she really sees the Lord's face in his hand in the, in the things of our lives and really sees those things in our kids' lives and encourage them, encourages them in that as well. 
daughter Blair this week, we were chatting. She said, Dad, uh, I really appreciate the things that you taught us. But she said, but you guys really lived it. So uh, hopefully, again, more caught than taught. They saw it, lived out. They saw the power of the gospel and following Christ. And that's become part of their lives as well. The next principle is prayer, is prayer. Now, uh, pray is a four-letter word, right? Spelled L-O-V-E. If you love people, you want to give them much more than you're able to give them, right? And if you really realize it's really the Holy Spirit who changes lives, why don't we talk to Him about what they need? So whether your children are three or your children are 63, God uses your prayers to accomplish His ends. And yes, I do love the expression, the most you can do is pray. Now in your bulletin, there's a little green sheet. And uh, that little green sheet, and there are more in the back if you need that. Uh, those sheets uh, are just a way you can, you can claim God's promises to pray for your children, your grandchildren, or the church's children. And I want to encourage you to use that, that prayer sheet often. Now, what do parents want most in their children, in their kids' lives? What do parents want beyond anything else? What do you want as a parent? Well, my favorite author, John Stott, uh, says it this way about what I believe all parents want. There is always much rejoicing and thanksgiving whenever the teaching and the discipline of a Christian home leads, not artificially, but naturally, to a child's acceptance of the teaching and discipline of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You want your kids to love Jesus and follow him. I don't care what the career is. I don't care what their day in day out life would be. If they love the Lord Jesus with all their heart, mind, and soul, hey, it's all good, right? And I think Stott expressed that very well. So your prayers uh, will always pray. Your prayers will outlive you. Your prayers will outlive you for uh, your children, your grandchildren, whoever else that might be. Finally, as I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, I want to conclude with this. That if you're a mom, you're a dad, you're single, you're married, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a grandson, granddaughter. Or you're, you're a friend who has children. I think it's so important that we experience in our own lives the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father experienced through the cross of Christ. Maybe your biological mom or dad loved you the best they could. Maybe they were selfish and they did a lousy job. I don't know. Or maybe they were just plain evil. But whatever it was like for you, um, we need to know in our hearts that we are loved unconditionally. That's the atmosphere we all were meant to thrive in. It can only happen in a relationship with your Heavenly Father, the one who knows you best, loves you most. He has opened that relationship with Him up through His Son, Jesus, and Jesus' death on the cross for you. Your sin was so bad He had to die, but He loved you so much, He was glad to die. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, that is Jesus, to them He gave the power to become sons and daughters of God. Do you know that love of your Heavenly Father? his acceptance, his affirmation of you, may we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you put us in families. And Lord, they're not perfect families. Uh, They have issues. Uh, They do. We do. We all do. But Lord, you're at work. Uh, You love us. You care for us. You can redeem any situation for for your good purposes. Lord, we thank you that your son came to show us the full extent of your love for us, that he died on a cross for our sins. Lord, we recognize that you're our true Father, our Heavenly Father. We're your children. We're children of the King. And we're so grateful for that truth. Lord, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. 